This is Transit Unplugged, and I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Each year, the American Public Transportation Association recognizes one large public transit system, which provides 20 million or more annual passenger trips, with their Outstanding Public Transportation System Achievement Award. This year, it's Vancouver's TransLink. For the last three years, Vancouver's TransLink has led the United States and Canada in ridership growth. Between 2016 and 2018, TransLink's ridership grew by 18%, far outpacing growth in local population and employment. During a time of rapid and dramatic change in the transportation sector, TransLink has become a world-leading example of how transit can grow and help an entire region become more livable, more sustainable, and more innovative. Not only that, TransLink has become an example to cities around the world of how a transit authority can not just survive, but can become more trusted, more popular, and yes, even cool. And now they're embarking on a $9 billion plan to improve transit and transportation in the region, including two rapid transit projects, expansions to bus and their SkyTrain service, investments in major infrastructure upgrades, and improvement in service reliability. In addition, they've reached an all-time high in customer satisfaction and have been recognized as the fastest rising brand in British Columbia and led the way with innovations in access, transit, marketing, and technology. On this edition of Transit Unplugged, I'm excited to interview Kevin Desmond, the CEO of TransLink, and I interviewed him in his office the week it was announced that he won this important APTA award. Stay tuned, buckle up, and get ready for a great round-the-world tour of how TransLink has become North America's top major transit system for 2019. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged, the worldwide phenomenon which is finding ways to tell you interesting stories about public transit. And today we're excited to be in the top transit system in North America, according to the American Public Transportation Association, who just awarded TransLink here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, their award for the top major transit system in North America. And I'm sitting with the CEO, Kevin Desmond. Kevin, thanks for having us in today. Thanks, Paul. Great to see you. Yeah, you too. Last night we were together at an event, which is you're looking to the future, which I think is, is awesome. Why don't you We'll just kick off with that. Tell us about what was that event about and why are you trying to get the public so involved in your transit system? <laughs> uh, well, quickly by way of sort of maybe looking backwards, I've been in this industry since the mid since the early 1990s, starting in New York. And here we are near the end of, of this particular second decade of this century. This is the most exciting time to be in our business because so many things are have already changed very quickly and are on the cusp of changing going forward. The next decade, the decade of the 2020s, are liable to see massive disruptive change in our industry. Even the things that have been happening over the few short years, I think are just the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. So 
this forum that, that you're talking about that, that you attended with us last night is our way of bringing people in the community together with thought leaders to think about that future. Mm. We do not have a crystal ball here at Translake. Of course, we're plugged in. We're seeing what's going on in, in the world. In some cases, we're leaders. In some cases, we're going to be last to the party, like in ride hailing. We're the last North American yeah. city that will be getting Uber and Lyft and those those guys are going to start being licensed uh, and allowed in our region later on um, this year. So in one respect, maybe we were laggard there. But then again, by some studies in the city of Vancouver is the car share capital of the world. So we've had shared mobility for years here and shared in car to go kind of thing, shared cars. They have a bike share um, program. And we may well benefit from being the last to do ride hail. We'll be able to learn from the mistakes or the misdirections and the negative um, outcomes, say, from ride hailing. But that said, there's still so much that can change in the next decade. And I like to think of TransLink, and I think TransLink's success over the, the years is that we don't put our head in the sand. We know we have to change. I'm a firm believer in this industry that we're not the monopoly and, and love us, you know, take us or leave us. It's, no, we need, to, we need to compete well because I think of us as a consumer product like any others. You do have a choice. Most, many people, if not most people, you know, they do have a choice. They don't have to take the bus. They don't have to take the train. I want them to want to take the bus and walk to, want to take the train. We have to figure out ways to attract and retain ridership. And as we're looking forward into this new mobility future, there's going to be more and more competition. So I want to get with the competition. I want to figure out how to outcompete with them. I want to figure out how to partner with them. I want to figure out maybe in some places we cede some of our territory to some of these other new mobility options so that we can even be stronger in the things that we are doing. And we do benefit. We've had the, by far the fastest growing ridership over the last number of years in North America. And there's a reason for that. We actually have a good foundation transit system here with really, really strong land use policies that support the kind of demand for our system. So, you know, long-winded way of saying that's what that's what that forum was, was about. It's the, the future third, of mobility, right? The future of mobility is the third of what will be, I would hope, numerous forums going forward. So we can think about our role in, in that world in the next decade and how we can get the best out of our tax dollars and get the best results for, uh, for the people of this region. It was a great turnout. Hundreds of people packed the room. It shows the level of interest that you've got in your citizenry in supporting public transit, public mobility. One of the other statistics which you just mentioned is that between 2016 and 18, your ridership grew by 18% during your reign here, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about the service you provide and how you're getting people so interested in taking it. Not to brag, it's up through six months this year, still about 4.3%. So the, Beautiful. the uh, wave keeps going. Yeah. You know, it, it starts with the fundamentals, and I just mentioned land use planning. One of the things... And that's that your I, background, right? Planning. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. A little bit started out in, in planning at, at New York City Transit. Yeah. One of the... One of the reasons why we have such a well-used transit system with very good um, transit effectiveness indicators, you know, rides per hour, rides per trip, rides per capita, is kind of the hallmark of this region that goes back really to the 1970s, is a very, very strong commitment to sustainable land use policies where the region adopted approaches to uh, densifying around centers, to organizing activity centers 
that could then be well served by public transportation. We all know it in our industry, one of the challenges with our industry, if you've got very, very dispersed land use patterns, it's very, very hard to serve that effectively in public transportation. You're not gonna get the effectiveness, which means you're not gonna get good cost effectiveness, which just makes it a lot harder to develop a good system. Here we have, we're, we have some urban sprawl, we have some suburban areas, but we also have major nodes of activity, whether it's, it's employment activity or housing activity, which then we can organize around. And TransLink and our, success, our predecessor organizations organize the transit system around such that those two things happen in concert pretty well. And differently than most urban areas in North America, from, you know, from my estimation. And it's built the success of the system, number one. So you have your starting points very strong. Then if we can improve the customer uh, experience and really focus on the customer. So since I've been here for a little over three years, I was, I, when, I, when they hired me, they said, we want you to focus on the customer. That's something that TransLink had lost. We're focusing on the customer. We are doing, in many respects, the little things that can matter and we're doing the big things. We have a huge unprecedented transit expansion plan underway. It started with in late uh, 2016, we opened our most recent 11 kilometer extension to our Sky, automated SkyTrain system. And ever since we've been rolling out improvements on SkyTrain, on our buses, on our paratransit and our C-bus uh, uh, water uh, ferry. So we're adding service, we're adding capacity, we're reaching out to new portions of the territory and we're, improved, we're finding ways to improve the customer experience. And that's resulted, I think, in a lot more confidence in our system and that's driving more people to our service. That's great. So talk about the scope of what you do, the service area, you know, number of vehicles. Just give us kind of a, because you've got a, you're covering a lot of territory, over a thousand miles, right? Yeah, we have, uh, I, I forget the uh, per yeah. square, the, the square Ele- kilometers. 1,118 square miles Thank in, you, Paul. in American uh, lingo. Yes. <laughs> so we actually have the largest territory for a single transit agency in Canada. Wow. I suppose BC Transit would be, beat us because they cover the whole uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, province, but that's just a series of, of largely small uh, communities in, in British Columbia. So we've got the largest regional territory for a single agency. We're fortunate when visionaries over 20 years ago created the concept of TransLink. And, it, and it, it went with that ethic about the land use planning. Let's create an organization who's got the singular scope for providing public transportation, for being the, the, the go-to organization for transportation planning in the region and having some responsibilities for some for some roads and bridges. So we've got a very broad scope. We are the only public transportation provider. We don't then have to negotiate, as we heard last night in, yes. in one of the other um, forums. We don't have to negotiate with other, other agencies. Even in my previous job at King County Metro, we were the largest transit system in the state of Washington serving King County and the Seattle region. But we also had to work with the regional transit agency, Sound Transit, our, right. our partners, who are three county agency. And we had to work with our fellow county agencies and into the south into the north and and to the west san francisco has 23 (laughs) transit agencies that the uh that the their metropolitan planning organization tries to to knit together it's very complicated here we're we're a unitary organization so we can we can plan out and scope out our, our our system much more logically we have one fare system through our compass system so we provide about 73 kilometers of automated SkyTrain. Okay. Uh, we have uh, now why six- is it called SkyTrain? Is it because a lot of it is elevated, or 
Well, you're, that's you're that's a great mountains. question. I wasn't yeah. here when it was <laughs> so it was created. The first uh, uh, the first SkyTrain was developed and opened for the um, Expo in 1986. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was the the starter yeah. line, and SkyTrain came out of it's that. A great moniker. And I imagine it was because it was all elevated. Yeah. I will say this, especially on a beautiful day um, like yeah. today. This is as people who come to Vancouver. No, particularly when the weather is good, it's an incredibly beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see the region for the price of one fare, just ride SkyTrain because it's all elevated and the views of our region from lots of different portions of Sky, it's a great tourist attraction. Yeah. It's just a, I and, just rode it here. It's amazing. It's, you, can, you, know, you look south across to the uh, San Juan Islands in the state of Washington and Mount Baker in the state of Washington, all the way to the northern mountains yeah. um, um, here. And SkyTrain gets... Uh, gets all those views. So we've got 73 kilometers of, of automated SkyTrain. Okay. We have a, a huge bus network that serves all of the communities. We have, um, in effect, 23 uh, municipalities that we serve every year. Uh, roughly two-thirds, a little less than two-thirds of our ridership is actually bus. Most of the rest is SkyTrain. We have our C-Bus. C-Bus is, is uh, 31 years old now. I believe that that connects downtown Vancouver to the North Shore. Okay. Uh, it's a much beloved, very very reliable. It's a fantastic service. Again, it's another really really inexpensive tourist ride. And you know, ridership on Friday nights, for example, is booming because mm. there's lots of activity on the North Shore in the city of North Vancouver. They have a, uh, a market, a farmers market, and and entertainment out there. And, and we have just standing room only virtually on our C bus on That's Friday fun. nights. It's just people going back and forth using transit. Uh, we have a commuter rail system that takes us um, up the uh, up the Fraser uh, River Valley. We have, like any U.S. system, paratran- very large paratransit network uh, as you well. Have contracted out? The paratransit yes. is contracted out, yes. The rest of it, do you operate yourself? With your uh, no, not quite. The okay. West Coast Express is contracted. Okay. And um, one of our SkyTrain lines, the Canada line, which was opened uh, right before the um, Winter Olympics in Vancouver, was the first in North America P3, full P3 oh. um, rapid transit line. So it is a 30-year concession. Okay. Uh, it was built and, and operated with considerable uh, private dollars. So it was, a, it was kind of a good model mm-hmm. uh, for P3s. It, it shows a lot of the good things about P3s, and it points out some of the um, perhaps less desirable aspects of P3s as well. So, But it was the first ever, and I, I think it was a great opportunity to kind of learn how to do it and how do you improve P3-type contracts going forward. And uh, passenger counts, you have over a million people a day road trips on your service, right? Uh, as of June, we had 1.47 uh, million daily riders wow. uh, on, on the system. Very, You know, for a region of just about 2.5 million people, that's a lot. That's pretty good. Wow. And that's, that's boardings. Um, more than can, half your people. More than half the. Well, it's probably <laughs> we, we counted. It's 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 over five hundred thousand individual human beings. Okay. Who take you know more than two trips a day? We yeah. have a lot of intermodal. So one of the really good things about the way the system has been built is SkyTrain is is this sort of rapid transit, high capacity spine. So a considerable portion of our bus network is oriented to get people seamlessly from bus to rail and then to to where they're going. So there's a lot of transferring. Going on, we have our compass card, smart card system that enables um, that that seamless um, um, interaction uh, between uh, between different modes. So last year we had record ridership. We have year after year record ridership, 437 million boardings. Mm. 
which, you know, far, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're something like the 23rd largest metropolitan region in North America with the eighth highest ridership wow. uh, in North America. So we, we like to say we punch well above our weight. Yeah. From that standpoint. Budget, employees, that kind of stuff. 7,800 7, employees. Okay. With a large budget. Yeah. <laughs> operating capital. The big thing we've been working on uh, since I've been here is what we call the, the mayor's vision. It's, it's a transit expansion plan. We're now in the second of what had been planned to be three phases, and through two phases, it's $9 billion in investments. That will be building us a six kilometer uh, Broadway subway line that should open in late 2025. Just today, we went through some policy work with our policy body to take the next step towards approval of a, a further SkyTrain expansion uh, that could eventually be 16 kilometers down to the city of Langley through the city um, of Surrey. Met uh, the largest ever procurement of rail cars so that we can drastically expand the capacity of SkyTrain. We should be going to market uh, this summer for more automated rail cars. So big capital dollars to expand the system and big operating dollars to um, to expand capacity now. So that focus naturally has been on the bus system. Yeah. That's where that's been getting most of the operating resources to the extent to which we had some fleet that we could deploy uh, on SkyTrain, uh, we've been able to in increase capacity there. So we're in the midst of, um, we're about halfway through delivery, a little less than halfway through delivery of some new Bombardier cars for our Expo Millennium line. And the first of our new Canada line cars just arrived or is, is uh, uh, being shipped from South Korea to here as we speak. It's someplace in the middle of the Pacific <laughs> as we speak. Uh, you've been doing some pretty innovative things. Tell us about the, the wearable uh, and the tap and go and those yeah. kind of things, yeah. So when TransLink designed its uh, smart card contactless system uh, a number of years ago, uh, we, uh, among other things, we, we benefited from the, the state of the technology in the, at that time, such that when we wanted to, we could enable the ability to contactlessly tap a chip-enabled credit card or an NFC phone with a, with a wallet uh, on your phone. So we worked on that last year with our, with our vendor, and in late May last year, we turned that on. We called it Tap to Pay. I think we're getting about 12,000 transactions a day now on average, people using their credit cards or their uh, mobile wallets. It's not meant to replace the Compass card at this point in time, but it's a really nice adjunct. If you are an irregular rider, if you're a visitor to town, you're coming in from, uh, from the airport, instead of fumbling around on the ticket vending machine. Have you ever met a ticket vending machine that was intuitive and easy <laughs> yeah. to use? I haven't anywhere yeah. in the world. Yeah. They're just, they're cumbersome. Now you don't have to think, you just, you, you, you sort of tap and go. If you're going down to a hockey game or to an event at, at BC Place, you don't, you don't have a compass card, just tap to go, you don't have to wait online. I mean, oftentimes after big events, there are huge lines of people buying tickets sure, at right. the vending machines. Yeah. Don't have to do that now. So we launched that last year, and uh, it's kind of an interesting story I won't fully get into, but we ended up um, uh, making a relationship with Seth Rogen, who then oh, yeah. became a little Tell bit of a the little voice. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, because you got a lot of press on that this year. Yeah, I don't want to go into how that started <laughs> because it was a little unfortunate oh, okay. with another uh, well-known celebrity. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't want to go through that in your but, podcast. You can report on that yeah, afterwards. Yeah, okay, but yeah. as a result of that, Seth Rogen, who grew up in Vancouver and grew up using the transit system and still lives here, uh, in Vancouver and still uses our, our system, said, hey, he contacted our social media guy. How can I help? Yeah. And it's like, whoa, way cool. 
and our social media guy, you know, through email and, and texting and stuff, got a relationship going with Seth. And he ended up agreeing to do a whole series of public service announcements, um, courtesy types announcements in the system with a lot of fun. So anyone yeah. who knows Seth and his laugh at the end, it was fun. But at the same time, it was telling you, know, how can you be more courteous in the system? Got worldwide attention. It did, uh, When yeah. it launched, there was uh, other organizations, oh, we need something like that, too. Uh-huh. So, and it also demonstrated that Translink could have fun. We're not just some stodgy, stuffed-up organization behind closed doors that's not accessible to the right. public. It's another way to demonstrate we're wide open. We can have fun, too. In fact, we can poke fun at ourselves. We're not perfect. We'll never be uh, perfect. That then came after the sort of tap to pay. And then later on last year, we introduced another product, a wearable. And I think we're the first with wearables, at least in North America. It's a wristband, basically with a chip in it. Okay. And we teased that out. I, I think it was in December that, we, that we, uh, we did the wearables. We teased it out. We let people know, okay, on, I don't know if it was a Monday or what day of the week, we're going to put some on sale. It was a limited number. Uh, I think it was 1,200 uh, in the first run. We had people lining up at our two physical sales centers for hours beforehand, got a lot of media around it. They sold out within hours, and we did a second round of the sales. Are they a large portion of how people are tapping to, to get in this? No, but it's fun. Yeah. It drew some attention to the system, and it's, it, it created a different utility. What a great thing to give your kid. Yeah. Instead of having a card that they're going to lose right. or having a lanyard around their neck or something, right. here, put it on your wrist. Yep. And that's how you're going to get on the bus to go to school, to go to soccer practice or, or whatever. Awesome. It's trying to show different ways that, that we can have fun in the system, that we could find new, interesting products that could, could hit some of the niches of our market. Speaking of that, tell us a little about your open innovation call that you had last year and how is that working? Yeah, that was um, a first. It's all part of our what we call TransLink Tomorrow, the new mobility series that, that you were referring to at the beginning of the of the podcast was also uh, part of that. So as as we've copied and learned from other organizations, uh, LAMTA, you know, with mm-hmm. um, uh, Phil Washington has been very interested in in unsolicited ideas and innovation. So we're, we're trying to learn how they did it and others have done it. Let's go out to the general marketplace, to innovators, to academics, to other public sector organizations, to people who are smarter than us. And let's give them a little challenge question. Give us your ideas around that particular uh, challenge uh, question. Last year, it was about integrated mobility. Uh, We got over 90 proposals, and most of them were really, really cool. Many of them didn't really, they didn't actually particularly address the challenge question, but they were all very interested and cool. We ended up selecting one. Uh, we're working on it now with three of our homegrown transportation sharing or organizations, uh, Moto Car Share, Modi um, uh, Bike Share, and Evo uh, Car Share. Okay. All three of those are locally grown organizations, and we're trying to, it's our little foray into mobility as a service. How can we yeah. sort of join up with those shared organizations in some kind of common planning and booking uh, platform? And we hope to have progress on that later on this year. Uh, we issued our second open innovation call in April. Okay. And I believe there are interviews going on as we speak of some of the um, shortlisted open innovation folks. You've got an amazing culture here as well. I've talked to some of your employees while I've been here. And tell us about the culture, the workforce, the workforce development programs you have. Well, 
every organization is going to have its unique cultures for so many different ways. New York City Transit, where I started my transit career, had its particular culture. When I went to Pierce Transit, smaller organization, really good unified culture around a fairly young organization, King County Metro Transit, where I, I spent 12 years as a general manager. Its culture had evolved because it started in the late 1950s or its parent organization in the late 1950s was actually created to clean up the waterways in the Puget Sound and Lake Washington. So it had a very, very strong environmental bent. And all those years later, it, it was still embedded in the culture. Here, this organization was, was sort of cobbled together when TransLink was created. So the bus company here is 100 years old and it started in many, many different iterations eventually became BC Transit. Um, but then when it was made part of uh, TransLink in 1999, it became Coast Mountain Bus Company. So it's got a very, very long culture of its own. The Rapid Transit Company that, that built SkyTrain, again, it wasn't, TransLink didn't exist when SkyTrain uh, was created. It, it was created on its own. It created sort of its own uh, culture. And then TransLink came in 1999 as, as the, the corporate um, entity took on these two subsidiary organizations. So we have an, an, an interesting culture that's kind of different, but still unified around customer. And that's, that's really what I like to focus on. We're all here for one reason, to provide service to a customer, whether it's our, our, our paying customer, a taxpayer, or an internal customer. I, I, I like to say we're all, everybody here works for the bus driver. So if you think about that... The inverted pyramid, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it from that standpoint, everything I think about, how do I, what can I do as the CEO to make the bus operator's job easier? Which means getting his coach, his or her coach out, making sure that vehicle's clean, making sure it gets back because it doesn't break down or something during the course of the day, making sure there's really good information at the bus stops, making sure they're empowered with information on board. So when people are asking them questions, making sure that if something bad happens on the bus, security incident, that someone's there to help them and to deal with it. So we sort of think about it from that standpoint, really, really focused um, on the customer. And I think that that generally is what this organization is about. I think we have a pretty good focus on the customer. I don't think we would have such strong ridership outcomes if we didn't have a pretty good focus uh, on the customer. And I think, you know, here in this region, people understand that taxpayers are paying the bill. Uh, so I, I think our employees understand the need for value for money. They understand that, hey, you know, we've got to prove to taxpayers that uh, it's worth every dime of their tax dollars. You touched on your history a little bit. I'd like to delve into that a little bit more, your, your personal background. People are always interested in the CEO story. So tell us how you got here. Where'd you start and, well, uh, and how you uh, so, wind your career here? So I'm from New York originally, and... Um, after taking a little time off from college, I went to New York University, got a master's degree in public administration, um, got a job in the mayor's office of operations when Ed Koch uh, oh, yeah. was mayor. Uh, we didn't do political stuff. We were kind of the intersection between the agencies and the office of management and budget. And uh, within nine months on my job, I was assigned to the Department of Transportation. So it wasn't by design. I didn't go into this with a transportation bent whatsoever. Most I knew about mass transit was a user, using the subway uh, primarily, very, very seldom on a New York City bus. And 
then after a couple years there, I, I did two absolutely bizarre, fascinating years at the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission, <laughs> which is why I'm so fascinated by ride hailing, because back uh, yeah. in those days, in the 1980s, our job was to make sure that um, the taxi cabs didn't uh, mess around with their meters, and we were trying to license um, um, gypsy cabs, what was oh, called yeah. gypsy yeah. cabs uh, back in the days, black cars for higher vehicles. Uh, and then from there, I went to New York City Transit, where I spent five years as uh, chief of operations planning. So it was not planned and by design that I'd go into the transit industry. But what I found working at New York City Transit was this industry, is, if you're into it, is really, really different. It's fun. You're a public service slash social service. You're an organization that could be focused on public policy in a lot of different ways because so much of what we do in our industry is policy driven. You know, whether it's the environment, whether it's just reducing traffic, it's kind of policy driven. Yeah, and I right. love public policy. And third, as I alluded to before, you can think of yourself as a business because you're still competing for discretionary users. Even in New York City, we're still competing yes. for discretionary users. Right. In Tacoma, Washington, we were definitely competing <laughs> for, in Seattle, we were, we were competing for people who had a choice. And we competed pretty well in Seattle, just like here in, in the Vancouver region. So that's kind of what makes, I, I think, what jazzes me in the business, is that it's that combination of all three of those things that makes our industry a little bit unique, because you can, you can exist separately in your own silo in all three of those worlds or ideally all at the same time. And work on tough problems, you know, in the, uh, our Orca Lift card in Seattle, card for low-income people, as social equity has become more and more of, a, of an issue. You know, our political leadership pushed us a little bit into that, but once the political leadership in Seattle sort of got around that, said, you know, this has got to be a priority. Metro, how are you going to get it done? We got it done. And, you know, I, I, I will say, I think there are a lot of doubters at the time that, that didn't think we could pull off what we were asked to do. And we, we pulled it off really well. So, you know, here we, 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 we were innovative. We worked on an important social um, policy issue and we executed operationally really well. At the end of the day, I can go home at night and saying, hey, that was really cool. We got some good stuff done and it makes everybody proud around the organization. So you went from New York to where? Went from New York, moved my family to uh, the Puget Sound and worked for Pierce Transit in Tacoma, Washington for eight years, became the uh, vice president of operations and development, and then 12 years as general manager of King County Metro. And I've been here since March of 2016 in, in British Columbia. Am I wrong in saying these APTO awards go back several years? And so Seattle won last year. So that's probably, you probably don't want to say it yourself, but I'll say it. I say that a lot of that is probably the groundwork that you laid. So two years in a row, your handiwork is rising to the top, and I think we can hear today why. Yeah, you know, when Metro won last year, it was maybe a, a tad bittersweet, but I, I felt proud of the people down there. I pr felt proud of Rob Gannon, who's the yeah, general Rob's manager. Um, uh, and I felt proud that I was part of that, because, you know, a lot of what, what was there were, were things that were put in place. And then for us to be fortunate enough to uh, win it this year is uh, it's a nice feather in the cap. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's about your employees. You know, nobody wins this alone. You know, it, whether it was at Metro and the pushes we had from our policymakers here, a lot of this wouldn't have happened without the new funding from the federal government, the Trudeau government, to help reinvigorate a mayor's plan that just in 2015 had lost a, a referendum. So, you know, there's lots of dynamics in place. And 
to be able to make a lot of things happen in so many different dimensions. It's hard work, it's creativity, a little bit of luck along the way. So let's talk about that. So we've looked at the past and the present. What are your hopes for the future? You've got this new source of funding at the federal level and you've got a board that seems to be very supportive. What are your hopes of where you hope to take TransLink? Well, further growth. I mean, the, uh, there's a lot of uh, latent demand here and there's a lot of new territory we still need to uh, plow. In our region, the, the south of the Fraser River, we're looking out of my office across the Fraser River now, that is the, the city of Surrey in just a few years is gonna be the biggest city in British Columbia. Really? Um, it will have a greater population than Vancouver. But it's got wow. sparser land use. It's not yeah. as dense as, okay. as, as Vancouver, but it's growing really fast. And our region, you know, Vancouver, I think infamously is well known, is having some of the highest housing prices in the world, unfortunately. So people, the affordable housing is further and further away from jobs, which means it's getting further and further away of the core transit network, which means we have a lot of catching up to do to reach those communities. That was part of our debate today about the SkyTrain extension with, um, with our mayors. So my vision, number one, continue that expansion program as effectively and, and quickly as practicable. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to build more rapid transit. It doesn't take as long to fill it in with bus. Secondly, you know, back to the first part of the conversation, you know, that this next decade is gonna be so cool with, with different disruptors. And I really look forward to see how we can partner in that disruptor world. I don't wanna pit a public transit agency against the, tran the, uh, the ride hailing companies. I, I like to think that we can figure out a way to, to coexist for the larger mobility good. And that, that's our objective at TransLink, improving overall mobility. Third is, is the coming of electrification of our rubber tire industry, at, at least. We're fortunate in British Columbia, all of our power is hydro-based power, so it's clean energy to start with. So as a starting point, electricity is always going to be clean. You know, in other parts of North America, you know, whether it's coal fire or natural gas, you know, a little bit of a different calculus. But next decade is the time that we need to start just buying electric buses. We're starting a pilot with our first four electric buses in a, uh, within a month or two. And I would expect, I hope, I'd like to think by um, the next big round of bus replacements and expansion buses uh, early next decade, we'll buy nothing but electric. We need a lot of money, though, for charging stations. We have the, the money's in place to buy the buses because right. they're very cost, the cost competitive. But moving quickly on the charging infrastructure is, is a big capital uh, and IT project in, in many respects. So I think those would be the three big, big things that, that I'd like to think we're working on. We are about halfway through updating our 30-year transportation plan. What we like to tell the public that, that may sometimes be cynical about long-range planning processes. The last time this region did a big plan refresh was around 1991. Everything, almost everything in that plan uh, that was envisioned that plan has either been implemented or is now being implemented. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, but it, it's playing so it's out. real. It's real. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we like to tell the public, give us your thoughts now. We're trying the 2050 to, plan, right? The 2050 plan we call yeah. T2050. What are your vision? What's your dreams? What are your values? Then how do we help coalesce that into a coherent plan that then we can take to our policymakers locally in the province and the federal government to then line it up. Okay, here are the phases of how we want to get to 2050. Let's figure out how to fund it uh, going forward. So as we complete this year and then, and then complete the plan uh, next year, I think it's going to be really fun to see how it, uh, how it shapes. I was at an event uh, many months ago and uh, we were talking about the long range plan and 
an audience question said, but Mr. Desmond, what do you, what do you think it should be? And I, I, I said, I don't know. I want to know. That's not for me to say. It's for you to tell me. That's, that's what, what we're about here at Translate. What a great way to wrap it up. You're one of the leading voices in our industry, and yet you're basically saying, I really want to hear from the people we serve. That'll help inform what we do next. Absolutely. Very good. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot, Paul. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.